So we'll be today here in 1 Kings 19, so if you want to turn to that. But before, you know, when I, when I first came to New England, you know, you hear the stories of these pastors, and, and they're seeing these salvations, and families are getting saved, <clears throat> and communities are being transformed, and you, you want to be like them. It's exciting, because uh, what they share is the exciting updates of ministry and people being saved. Nobody wants to hear the hardships of, of ministry. Um, I hate to burst people's bubble, but most of what ministry is, is agony, to be honest with you, is agony. Agony leads to fruit, but in the meantime, that agony is sometimes so disheartening that it almost seems not worth it. Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 1 about the hardships he endured in Asia, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. I, don't, I wouldn't say I despaired of life itself, but I certainly have despaired of what I was doing in ministry. Is all this agony, this hardship, is all of it actually worthless? But Paul described... We felt we received the sentence of death, but it happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. See, we hear the exciting things of ministry. The most important thing I learned here, mind of a scholar is important, heart of a shepherd is important, but the perseverance of a soldier is the most important. Because you can be super smart, but if you can't stick around, it doesn't do you any good. You can have a great pastoral heart like other people in New England. But if you can't stick around, it doesn't do you any good. You can have a, somewhat of a decent mind of, of the scriptures and somewhat of a deep, decent pastor's heart. But if you can stick around, that's what's going to matter in the long run. And that's what people are going to see. I had a mission team up from Pennsylvania a month ago now, last month, two months ago. And one of them, he asked me, he said, my mom wanted me to ask you this question. If it takes so long to see fruit here, then wouldn't that be God's sign that you should go someplace else? And I assured that, well, if that was everyone's philosophy, we'd never ever see fruit anywhere that we go. Because someone has to break up the ground, someone has to sow the seed, you know, the people I've seen saved this year, about 10 people since December, in talking with them, after they got saved and made that public, they shared, yeah, this relative of mine said they've been praying for me for a long time. They didn't know that. The fruit that I saw, some had to do with, of course, my praying and my sharing with them, but people had already been doing that in almost every single one of these people's lives. We're not the first one. And some of these people's relatives, I mean, one of, the, one of our guys, Austin, his, uh, he got saved back in February, and he's led now one of his friends to Christ so far. And after I gave him a Bible he had at home, his aunt had stopped by, and 
She said, what do you got a Bible for? He goes, it's my Bible. She said, you have a Bible? She said, yeah, my pastor friend gave it to me. She said, you have a friend that's a pastor? <laughs> she said, I've been praying for you for all these years. It's an amazing thing to see. But often that fruit comes after years of what feels like smashing your head against the wall. Elijah, Elijah, he experienced this amazing spiritual victory, but it wasn't enough to keep him from becoming discouraged and depressed, which is odd as we see what this spiritual victory was. <coughs> 1 Kings 18, we know that e Elijah goes and confronts King Ahab um, because him and his wicked wife Jezebel had been misleading the nation in idolatry, idolatry. And, and the nation would go a little bit back and forth between worshiping the Lord and worshiping idols, Baal and Asherah. And so finally the Lord sent Ahab to him, declared a drought uh, on the land. And he uh, told Ahab, like, hey, let's settle this once and for all. Get all of Israel together in this place, and we're going to see once and for all who the real God is. And so we know the story of how they called the nation together. And Elijah said, look, you build an altar and put a sacrifice up. You call out to your God, and whoever sends fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice is the real God. So we know that uh, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they cut up their sacrifice, and, and they're calling out to the God all day long. They're cutting themselves, screaming, dancing around. And Elijah starts to mock them and say, look, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's on a journey. I love that the Bible includes that, by the way. I think it's okay to mock godless paganism at times. That's my opinion. But then he says, all right, it's my turn. So he set up the same thing, but made it harder. We know he poured water on it. They poured water on it three times. They dug a, tr uh, a, a trough, trough, trench around it. So that the trench was filled up. This thing was soaking wet. Some liberal scholars would say they just poured fuel on it. I think that would not have gone unnoticed with all those people standing around. They probably thought, what is it that they're putting on there? And they would have, went and they would have known if it was anything flammable, not like they had refined oil at the time. But <coughs> so they poured the water on it, and he called out to his God, the Lord. We know that God sent fire from heaven, and he consumed the sacrifice, the wood and the stones, and the soil and the water. When all the people saw this, they fell down on their face and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah told Ahab, Look, there's a sound of heavy rain, and he went and he prayed that it would rain again, and it rained again. It was Miraculous, wonderful victory. The nation seemingly repented. They saw who the real God was. But word got back to Ahab or to Jezebel, because Ahab was there. In verse, chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Notice that. He said he had everything Elijah had done. 
and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me ever, be, ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree and sat under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And at once the angel, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. It's interesting. He experiences monumentous victory that you would think would have carried him on the rest of his life. Like, I prayed, and fire came from heaven. And then we wiped out our enemies, slaughtering them. And they're dead. It's not like we prayed that God would change their heart and eventually they'd repent. No, they just killed them outright. They weren't a problem anymore. <coughs> but when Ahab went and told his wife, Jezebel, everything Elijah had done, she decided she wanted to hunt him down and kill him. First of all, the arrogance of a woman like that this woman, not a woman like that, this woman, that could hear the events of the day and think that she could then kill this man that the Lord just used so powerfully to deliver this great victory. But then Elijah was scared and ran away and then asked to die. Well, that's an interesting turn of events. You'd think that after that, he would not have been scared of anything. He saw fire come from heaven. And the nation repented. But you know who didn't repent? Ahab and Jezebel. And I don't know if that's what upset Elijah so much. But I can tell you that sometimes you can see God work so powerfully, but sometimes he doesn't work exactly how you want him to, and it can be devastating. Why? Well, because we created this expectation about how God should work for us, and he doesn't do that. Ahab should have been one of them falling on his face. Worshiping the Lord, but he did not. And then Jezebel certainly did not. She attributed this just to Elijah. Maybe it was some trickery or something like that. I don't know. But to hear that after all this, that the king and his wife did not repent, maybe that's what upset him so much. Great spiritual victory. 
but it drove him to despair. It's very odd. I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down under a tree and took a, under the tree and took a nap. <coughs> we know the angel woke him up, fed him, and we learned here the importance of taking a nap and proper diet, um, which you could actually create a whole sermon on that. It's great. Little side word of advice at college. There is no reason to stay up late. On the weekend is one thing, maybe. But what, what reason do you have to stay up late? You're robbing yourself of the energy for the next day that could bring depression and discouragement and failure in your studies because of irresponsibility of managing your time. Now, nobody told me that, but I was the RA here, and I saw students wasting their time for no good reason, staying up late, being totally exhausted the next day. That is not giving God your best. That is wasting time that God has given you. I'm not talking about doing that once in a while. That's fine. But if you make that a practice, staying up super late, you have a hard time, you're late to classes, you don't have enough time to study because you're too tired, you're not managing your time well, and you're being lazy. And you're not here to be lazy. This is not a place where you can be lazy. It's important to rest and to eat well. And shop at Aldi's, for goodness sake. <laughs> I know Dollar General is convenient. I'm so glad Burger King is not across the street also anymore. It used to be for you students who are here. There were students spending 10 or $15 a day going to Burger King every single day. It's a huge waste of money. You can go to Aldi's and spend a fraction of the cost of what you'll spend at Dollar General or at Walmart. Don't even bother with Price Chopper or Hannaford. <laughs> There's nothing priced about the, the prices at Price Shop. I had this rich guy in Manchester tell me once, I was surprised by how cheap the groceries were at Hannaford. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, have you ever been to Aldi's? And I was like, yeah. He goes, I couldn't believe how cheap the groceries were there. He said, but my wife doesn't like to shop there, so I have to work extra hard to pay the bills because she wants to shop at Hannaford. Anyways, <laughs> shop at Aldi's. And they have self-checkout now. You don't have to wait in line forever. Self-checkout. But there's an important part here, sleep and rest, and having a good diet is important. But as Elijah, he travels these 40 days, he, he goes into the cave, he leaves his servant behind, which is a whole different thing. He specifically isolates himself. Never a good plan when you're already depressed, depressed and discouraged, isolating yourself. <coughs> and the Lord appears to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, well, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You know, when we're discouraged and depressed, we believe things that aren't true. He says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your, your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Remember this whole thing that just happened? 
He put the prophets to death of the foreign gods. The people repented. The nation repented. And now he thinks he's all alone. Well, he put himself alone in this cave. When we do that, all we have, to, all we have is our own thoughts to wrestle with. And our own thoughts will only lead us to greater darkness, believing lies that are not true. I'm the only one left. No, you're not the only one left, Elijah. But I believe that because he's discouraged, he's depressed, he's alone. So then the Lord said in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah heard it, pulled his cloak over his face, and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. You ever ask God, just show up so I can feel your presence. Just speak to me. I need something to keep me going. Have you ever done that before, asked that? Elijah didn't ask for it, but God did it. You know what it did to Elijah? Nothing. What was the problem? Well, God said, why are you there? So he, he listed what his problems were, all his, all his discouraging thoughts. And the Lord, his very presence, the powerful wind tore apart the mountain, maybe a tornado, shattered the rocks. There was an earthquake, a fire, a miraculous set of events. And then the gentle voice of the Lord spoke to Elijah he said, what are you doing here? Elijah said the same thing. He was still discouraged. He was still depressed. See, God revealed himself in a powerful way. But Elijah's discouragement and depression kept him from being in awe of God. There's been two times in my life one, I struggled with depression strongly. One was, dis one was discouragement strongly. One of them was before I came to Vermont. We'd made up our mind to come to Vermont, and we had this time period before we were coming. I've ne I'd never felt it before then. I've never felt a sense in, but in, in a, a gloomy sense of depression. No matter what I prayed, it, our life was great. We were newlyweds. We had decent jobs, making $9.50 an hour at the time, which was pretty great. Uh, that was $2 an hour above minimum wage. <coughs> had a great church we were going to, great, in a great spiritual position. But for whatever reason, this cloud of depression, I couldn't crack a smile. I couldn't find a good thought in my mind. I was reading the Word daily, praying, but it was just like there. It was bouncing off the ceiling. There was nothing. Nothing brought hope to my soul. Nothing brought joy to me. And you know, some who know my personality here, I'm usually 
pretty happy and like to smile and stuff like that. And my wife, she didn't know what to do because nothing was helping. And eventually it, it went away. And then this last year, really in the last year, summer and fall, I was very discouraged about our church in Pownall. We had planted the church in Petersburg, which that's a long ways from actually being planted. But, and we hadn't been seeing the fruit that I'd like to see being there at the time for seven years. And I thought, well, maybe I'm the one in the way of this. I, I, I talked to different people here about that. And maybe God wanted me to just focus on our church plant and this agonizing real discouragement. And I had actually resolved I was going to resign from our church in Pownall in, in January uh, to focus on Petersburg. I wasn't going to move out of the area. But God, long story short, which is another sermon, God showed me that I needed to stay put where I was. But that discouragement from the time it started to the time it ended lasted nearly six months. And you don't want to go up every Sunday to your church people and talk about how discouraged you are and how hard things are. Because you know what it does to them? It discourages them. It messes them up emotionally because they come to church just to get some life for the week. There's one lady that comes. Her health is so bad these days. She, on Sunday, she literally dragged her purse in the door, taking one heavy-footed step after another because she's in agonizing pain. But she said, I, I have to be here. I have to be here. She had missed the previous week, and she said it just was agonizing. And she's in a situation where she has pain that they really can't do anything about. But people don't want to hear your discouragement and your depression. And you go to people for advice, and the advice that you get, they give is good advice. But in your discouragement, in your depression, it means nothing. It doesn't help you a bit. It doesn't lift your spirits at all. It doesn't strengthen you in the slightest. And we say, if God would just show up, things would change. Well, God showed up here powerfully, not just physically, but his voice. It didn't do anything to Elijah. Notice the Lord's instruction. Verse 15. <coughs> the Lord said to him, go back the way that you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of uh, Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all of who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. The Lord didn't give him any advice. He gave him direction. Go back to what you were doing and continue the work. Notice that. Go back. Go to the desert. Anoint. 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 All verbs. 
all action. Perseverance is what will get you through. Because when you're depressed, first of all, don't own your depression. Don't say, I am depressed. You are struggling with depression. You are not depressed. Depression is not who you are. You're struggling with depression. I saw that on Facebook, so it's not for me. <laughs> I don't want to plagiarize a sermon. <clears throat> but it's not who you are. You, you struggle with it. Just like the different sins. Like You struggle with them. It's not who you are. You're a child of God. But God says, go back, continue the work. You know how I got out of the depression? I just continued what I was doing. Out of discouragement, I just continued what I was doing. You know the thing that stinks about that? In order to continue doing it, you have to continue doing it in the way that you feel. And that's not a very pleasant thing. If you don't want to wake up in the morning to go do whatever God has for you to do, your day is not very pleasant. But obedience to God doesn't always have to be pleasant. Obedience to God is about obedience. There's no quick answer to de depression and discouragement. There's no medication you can take. There's no book you can read. There's no quick, quick get better, fix, uh, I forgot that actual term. Um, get better soon, quick fix like we have as America is a microwave situation where it just gets done so quickly. So sometimes it takes just going back to doing what you were doing and just get up day after day asking God to give you the strength to accomplish what he's called you to do. And it might be agony. You might kind of hate life while doing it. But eventually the feeling will go away. And in the midst of that, there's some important remedies, not cures, remedies to depression and discouragement. One is honesty. <coughs> tell people how you're feeling. If you're leading a church, I wouldn't recommend getting up and tell, uh, telling your whole church, but specific people in your church who can pray for you, prayer warriors and supporters, people you love and trust. Important to be honest about how you feel. You're only a fool to keep it to yourself. Because like Elijah, you're just going to sit there with your own thoughts, with nobody else's thoughts, maybe guide you a little bit. It might not help too much, but to remind you that what you're believing might not be true. Isolating yourself is a tool of the devil. Be honest. Along the lines with that is community. God gave us other believers, the church, for a reason. You know what I found, though? When people have the hardest times, they stop going to church. And they come back a couple months later, if they come back, and they say, sorry, you know, I've just had a really rough time. Say, so you decided to step away from God's people? Who could encourage you? Because it comes down to people don't want to ask for help, and people don't want others to know the struggles that they're having. That is called pride. 
and it will only hurt yourself. Acts 2.42, the early church, they voted themselves, the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, prayer. Everyone was filled with awe of the wonders that were being performed, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. Romans 12, 4 through 5 said, For each one of us, uh, for each one of us, has one body with many members. These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many from the body, each belong, each member belongs to all the others. Hebrews 10 tells us, Let us consider how to spur one another on towards love and good works, not giving up the meeting together as the habit, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as the day is approaching. Community is important. And then lastly, Scripture. Not last in order, but just here. Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me in your strength. Will support me. Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the worst thing you can do is base your relationship with God on how you're feeling at the moment. Just because you're depressed and discouraged doesn't mean you're, there's anything wrong with your relationship with God. Maybe it's a result of sin, there could be that. But it's been at the times, I believe, when my, strength, my relationship with, with God was really the best that I experienced the hardest times of depression and discouragement. Our faith is not based on feelings. That's why understanding and studying the Word of God is so important. Because when it says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and your thoughts say, man, God's not listening, God isn't here, Something is wrong, and it's not the Word of God. It's the lies that you're believing. So when in depression and discouragement, be honest, tell people. Surround yourself with community, the church, and fill your mind with the Scripture. And most importantly, continue the work that God calls you to, whether you feel like doing it or not. Can everyone bow your head and close your eyes for me? <coughs> Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the opportunity uh, to be here today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you did not leave out hardships of your great prophets from the scriptures who experienced such amazing victories and then crushing emotional defeat for seemingly no reason. We put expectations on, on you about how you should work and then when you don't do it the way that we want, we get discouraged and depressed. Lord, it's hard to continue the work that you've called us to do when we've lost the desire because we're not excited. Zeal only brings us so far. Sometimes it's just the perseverance of pounding the ground day after day after day after month after month after year after year. And eventually, we'll get out of that discouragement. We'll get out of that depression. Because, Lord, you bless faithfulness you bless perseverance. You bless consistency. So I pray for those students and staff and faculty here struggling with those things. You'd remind them to just continue the work that they're in. Continue the work. Eventually things will change.